This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Start. I don't feel so good. You're all right. I don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. I don't want to go. I don't want to go, sir. Please. Please, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Bat Fans. Yes, we're still here. This is episode 184. My name is Tim, and I'm going to be your host again two weeks in a row. I know we've been trying to alternate between me and Dane hosting an episode, but for this one, I have to host twice because my Yankees just got swept by Dane's <laughs> Oakland A's. And we made a little friendly gentleman's bet about whoever won the series would host this next episode. And I didn't stand a chance apparently in that series. I got swept. So the first two games I knew I would be hosting, but I was at least hoping that they would salvage the series and get one win. But nope, it was pretty much, but they were out of it almost pretty early for every game. And it was pretty disappointing to see. So Dane, yeah. uh, I don't even know why I'm doing this podcast with you right now. I just <laughs> hate Oakland A's so much right now. Well, I, I I didn't uh, to to be honest, Tim. I I did not expect a sweep. I thought maybe two one, maybe the 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 Yankees were gonna sweep. Maybe it'd be like a one two sort of thing. Like, oh okay, I guess the A's lost again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, did not look like the Yankees showed up to the Coliseum. No, it didn't, which yeah. you know, frustrated me to no end. <laughs> because I, I, I thought if, if you guys had a chance, it would have been in that second game. Um, but, yeah, I guess not. Nope. I mean, Yankees have been one of, one of if not the best team in baseball. And oh, they're no, going they are up... the best. They are the best team in the, the AL, at least. Yeah. Them and the Astros are really close, but the Yankees have a better record than them right now. And the only other team who has a better record than the Yankees are the Dodgers in the National League. And the Yankees are actually playing them this weekend. And the Yankees blew out the Dodgers yesterday, which was really nice to see. So, <laughs> But yeah, going up against Oakland, I mean, they're a potential playoff team they could face in the postseason. So I was kind of hoping to have them play well against Oakland. But that wasn't the case. But at the same time, too, postseason's a different animal. We never know what could happen. But it was just disappointing. Yeah. Just, like you said, it felt like they didn't even show up for that. And the pitching yeah. was just awful. Yeah, Tanaka, especially. Like, uh, yeah, and he's been one of the more consistent pitchers. And that pitcher, is it uh, in the first game? Uh, what's his name? Who did uh, pitch the first game? I know Hat pitched the second game. And Oh, was it oh, Domingo Herman? Yeah, Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That guy needs to 
needs and, to either go in the bullpen or get he's, act, he's actually been their best pitcher the whole season. Really? He's the one who kept them afloat pretty early on. And this is actually one of his rare bad performances. He's had a couple, but this was one of the worst ones he's had. Because so, he's like 16-2 and two or something like that, or 16-3. Yeah. and three. But They said his uh, ERA was really high. It was actually, his problem is in the third time through the order, his ERA jumps up really high. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's just the Yankees usually give him run support. Um, that, and but no, he has pitched well. It's not like someone yeah. is just benefiting from the run support. He has a pretty, or had a pretty good ERA, but it was just one of those bad starts. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad he had a bad start. <laughs> I'm glad the, the Yankees <laughs> didn't show up. Um, but it was great to see the Yankees, you know, because I don't watch the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know this, Tim, but you, you guys have a have this up and coming hitter. I don't know if you ever heard of him called Gary Sanchez. Vaguely, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually uh, know him by his nickname, the Kraken. <laughs> oh, Kraken! <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Sanchez is really good. Uh, better, better than I thought he was. Yeah, I mean, he's he could potentially be their best hitter in the lineup. Just yeah. sometimes, you know, injuries play a role in the season and the past seasons of him not really clicking. But when he's on, man, he's as dangerous as they come. Yeah. And, I mean, and the, they need to throw in Glaber Torres, who's having an awesome season this year. Yeah, the guy, the kid homers, they got right? from Chapman from the Cubs. Yeah. He's having a great year. He's on fire right now. I mean, he hit, what, two home runs in the final game against right. Oakland. He's he was the offense for that final game. <laughs> the Yankees scored three <laughs> runs, and it was all him. Yeah. So, and and, and your third baseman, um, not, because uh, hmm. I know you played two, right? Yeah, um, it's it's Gio Urshela is or kind Mathias? of their What's that? Matthias or something? No, it's, I think Mathias? you're thinking of Urshela. Am I? Yeah, because he's the one who's having a, like a oh. surprisingly good year. Who's mainly he was a player who was mainly known for his defense, but his offense yeah. is off the charts this year. I mean, I, he's real close to be qualifying for the batting title because if he is, he'd be right up there in the batting. Title. He's like hitting three thirty, three forty, something like that. It's, it's usually yeah. him or DJ LeMahieu, who's another player who's having a great season for the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who I was thinking of LeMahieu. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but he mainly he kind of. Goes all over the infield, third, oh. second, first, but they just got to get his bat in the lineup because he's a hitting machine and a clutch player too. Always hits with runners in scoring position. Yeah, I thought your third baseman, uh, uh, both of them, I guess, were uh, really good. I mean, they're no Matt Chapman, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I think definitely on the defensive side too, because Matt yeah. Chapman's really good defensively as well. Um, and it was really great to see the the, the A's hitting again. I mean, that, that was the problem uh, before uh, the Yankees, and then before that they played the, uh, a series with the Astros. Uh, they took the, three or four of the Astros, too, huh? Right before yeah, the Yankees. Yeah, three out of four. Um, that was the problem. Like, the, the bats weren't, just weren't showing up, and Chris Davis still wasn't hitting. I mean, I know he had the home run in game two, was it? The, well, whichever game, right? Uh-huh. Um, but... Yeah, his bat just isn't there, and like, uh, especially Matt Olson. Matt Olson has really stepped it up, and uh, uh, Mark Canna um, in center field have really stepped it up mm, to kind of 
to kind of make up for <laughs> the, the lack of Chris Davis's back. Yeah, too bad he's not having a good year because imagine if it was their offense would be really good <laughs> yeah maybe they could actually compete with the astros instead of being like eight games back <laughs> as long as they get in there the postseason you never know what could happen so yeah are they in the do they have a wild card spot right now since they won uh, so many games i believe i believe uh friday's game uh, uh sorry thursday's game uh they were tied with the indians I'm actually looking right now, and you are correct. They are tied yeah. with Cleveland for the second wild card spot, and only a half game behind Tampa. Oh, good, good. So man, it's um, pretty tight. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm happy for a sweep. Um, I I hope. <laughs> now let's knock on some wood, Tim, because <laughs> I hope they can get into the. Um, into the postseason via the wild card because they are not winning the division this year. <laughs> Here's a plus two. If they make it into the wild card, they definitely won't have a repeat of last year because the Yankees are winning the division and they don't have to face them for one game. So <laughs> yeah. even though Oakland swept the Yankees this past series, they haven't had much success against the Yankees in the postseason throughout the course of history. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Especially when you're gonna platoon, yeah. <laughs> you start to start with an opener and have a bullpen game in the postseason. Yeah, just bullpen. you're out of it in the first inning. <laughs> yeah, and and make sure your starter is a guy that you sent down early in the year. <laughs> <laughs> that was the case with who they pitched last year. Yeah, Liam Hendricks, the closer. Uh, uh he got sent down, and um, like earlier on in the year, oh, and then, he, they, they they brought him back. And he had a really great season, uh, and he he's an all star this year, this past year. So, you know, proved everybody wrong. Yeah, just wasn't an all star in that wild card game last year. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, I I've been reading this book about the the, the A's. You know, I I, I read Moneyball, mm-hmm. and um, you know that was a really good book. Um, but this book is about the the dynasty years back in the seventies. Okay. Um, it's called, uh, and I had to look it up because it's really hard to remember, and you'll you'll understand why. It's called Dynastic, Bombastic, Fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so it's about you know, uh, uh, Raleigh Fingers and Catfish Hunter, uh-huh. mostly about Charlie Finley, uh, the the old A's owner, and how eccentric he was. Like um, when the when the when the A's were still in Kansas City. He paid the Beatles what is essentially a million dollars uh, to play a 30-minute concert. Wow, I never heard about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, just all kinds of crazy things. Low-balling players. Like no, like, no wonder Catfish Hunter became, like, the first free agent, high-paid free agent. Because uh-huh. uh, Charlie Finley was trying to low-ball him. Uh, but now, I'm going to tell this story, Tim, and it's going to sound like I'm making it up. <laughs> okay. Okay. But trust me, I mean, you can look it up, and it is true. So, the A's win three straight World Series. They're, they're the only other uh, uh, baseball team besides the Yankees to do that. Yep. It's um, crazy to think about, too, how the Yankees and the A's are the last two teams to do that, and that's so long ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, they win three straight, and, uh, like, even though they, 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 they won, like, two World Series, right? This is before they won the third. Mm-hmm. They still can't 
they, they still can't get like 5,000 people in a 50,000 person stadium, right? So their attendance is really low uh, to begin with. And after the third World Series in 1973, I think, um, Charlie Finley doesn't want to pay his free agents anymore. So what happens? The Yankees get Catfish Hunter and Reggie and Raleigh Fingers is gone after that. Um, and they lose all of their stars. So attendance uh, sinks even lower, right? So what does Charlie Finley do? He doesn't invest in the team. He doesn't invest in the stadium, of course. I mean, I didn't even have to tell you that, Tim. Oh, yeah, even back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even back then, it was 20 years old. Um, so he doesn't invest in the team at all. He's an absentee owner. And, like, towards the end of the 70s, he he doesn't even go to the any games anymore. It doesn't matter if the A's make the playoffs. He's not going to any games. He doesn't really care anymore. Um, but, like, he... Um, and, so, and so what he does is he cuts down the, the A's front office to four people. So the, oh, A, wow. the A's front... O- Front office was run by four people on a no regular. analytics team back then. <laughs> no analytics team, no you know, no scouting department. I mean, who who was the scouting department? Like, I don't know, but the general manager. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but he does go to one game, and then he sees like this this kid uh, break dancing outside. Like th- this kid would go to A's games. He lived in Oakland. He would go to A's games, right? And he would break dance and like uh for 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 money for tips right and he would buy his dinner because his you know his family didn't come from means you know he and he he would just use that money to um to eat essentially right and so charlie finley decided like I, i guess likes the kid and you know recruits him to be a ball boy and you know, the kid's ball boy, and then Charlie Finley, you know, decides to be an absentee owner. So he promotes the kid to essentially run the A's for him oh, man. while he's not there, right? So he's the one making he, – he tells the kid – and this is only like a 14 year, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, right? And so this kid is essentially the executive vice president of the A's. And he's the one making decisions. If you call the A's up during that time to talk, like for you know, talk about a trade or something, you would talk to this kid, <laughs> right? I'm sure they had to make all the other GMs and just in the executives in the A's organization really happy. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, like, like this kid was around the clubhouse, and the the players would call him Hammer, right? Like, as a nickname. And so that kid... Is this going where I think it's going? That kid became MC Hammer. Oh, that's it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I always remember hearing MC Hammer with some Oakland A's connection. I guess either never really dived into that story or heard much about it, but that's it. Wow. <laughs> that's it sounds crazy. like I'm making it up, but I am not making it up. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe he should have stayed in the Oakland organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that 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 story blew my mind. Also, um, also Charlie uh, Finley uh, instituted like uh, ball girls, right? Okay. Um, now you can see them sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, Boston had a bunch of great uh, ball girls. The Padres did also. I mean, there, there's like highlight reels on YouTube. Um, you know, of, of these ball girls making like unbelievable catches, right? Uh, so Debbie Fields, who um, who eventually started Mrs. Fields Cookies, was a okay. ball girl, <laughs> and she she um, would take that money that she was paid at, to buy ingredients so that she could make her famous cookies. And she would <laughs> nice. test the cookies out on the umpires that came to Oakland. To, <laughs> wow. To, to, to umpire. Man, that so how many successful, <laughs> famous people got their start with the Oakland A? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, so like, on, on, like that MC Hammer story, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I know, it's crazy to think about. I guess if there was a trade you didn't like or a prospect you didn't want to give up, he would tell the other GM, can't touch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I had to go there. Yes. Yeah. Or, or he yeah. makes a successful trade. You just go to Tamar time. <laughs> yeah. Or Charlie Finley was like a really crazy person. I mean, not crazy, just e- egotistical. Like mm-hmm. he would, he 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 wanted, he wanted orange baseballs. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, sure, like, that would have been fun for the players to see in the batter's box. Yeah. Uh, also, the the commissioner of baseball did not like him. Just uh, did not like him. Right, uh, you're saying I can understand why. Yeah, uh, was a big advocate for the DH uh, in the AL. Well, that's one plus. <laughs> yeah, uh, night games. Another uh, good thing. Yeah, did not know how to market his team. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> uh, especially coming from you know the Midwest where you're. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but when, where your 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 um your fans are mostly white, and then you go to Oakland, and your 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 fan base is a mix of people. Like he just didn't have that connection. Mm. That, that was another problem for him. So yeah, crazy story. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how. Like especially reading the book, like Reggie Jackson and Raleigh Fingers and uh, Catfish. Catfish was like is like the most laid back guy I'm I'm convinced in all of like in all of baseball in all of baseball history catfish hunter is the most laid back guy um but yeah like a, a lot of crazy stories i don't know how they won three world series especially with all the infighting going on especially in the clubhouse <laughs> well, that was another thing they had in common with the 70s yankees and one after them <laughs> i know it's... must be reggie <laughs> he's always involved somehow yeah but, anyway, um... well i guess i never know what new oakland a story i'm gonna learn oh, that's just <laughs> crazy you'd never thought something that i'd ever heard about before yeah but but you know i was really thinking about it you know after reading this book and like it, it, it's kind of embarrassing being an A's fan in a sense <laughs> where like, I mean like Moneyball, you're, you're taking statistical analysis that was brought forth by, you know, a guy that was a, a night watchman at a pork and beans uh, factory. <laughs> uh, that just adds to the story though. Humble beginnings. Yeah. I mean, you're building your story. I mean, you, you're building your franchise around like, 
this statistical analysis that you know was made by Night Watchman, and then <laughs> you know with the, with with the the bullpenning, you know during the the wild card last year and getting these low budget players and like all the stories I've just told you about the seventies <laughs> is it's it's kind of like oh my god like I, I I wish for once there would be like a great Yankees esque story you know like <laughs> like all these Yankees books are about like the the majesty and the the, the 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 dynasty of the Yankees, but for the A's, it's always like <laughs> these stories like, oh, you know, Charlie Finley once paid the the Beatles essentially a hundred uh, a million dollars to play a thirty minute concert <laughs> at the old the old Kansas City Athletic Stadium. You well, know? That's just funny to hear you compare that their history to the Yankees story franchise history yeah. <laughs> but at the same time is that part of Oakland's charm and why you gotta love them as a fan <laughs> I guess so I guess you gotta love them it, I guess it makes the when they do win even more special because it always seems unlikely that the A's are winning with the teams yeah. they put out there they just gotta yeah. get over that hump and actually win a World Series for the first time since what 1989 yeah 89 or no was it 90 no it was 89 because the Reds won in 90 uh, 89 because of the earthquake. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That yeah. kind of put a damper on their win, too, I, I think, for <laughs> some of the players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because there was so much, so, so much loss of life. And they didn't have a parade after, of course, because that sure. you, know, you, can't, you can't really... <laughs> that would have been in bad taste. So they had one... Was it last year? I think it was. It was either last year or was it... Is it this past year? I, I can't remember, but but they had like a like a big celebration. It would have to be this year because it's celebrating the 30th anniversary. Oh yeah, 30th anniversary. Yeah. Um, but I did want to ask you, how did the A's look from your end, not as a fan? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to see a whole lot of the games. But yeah. what I did see, I think the big takeaway was their offense was yeah. surprising a little bit because the pitching. I mean, the some of the guys they threw out there. I mean, Homer Bailey the way he shut down the Yankees seemed unlikely. So I'm not sure if that yeah. was a fluke thing or if he's actually been pretty good this season for him. But uh, he, he's been having a little bit of a control problem. Like he, mm-hmm. he can't hit his pitches, but okay. Well, uh, for the most part, he's been against right. the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if anything, yeah, just their offense really isn't pretty good. And like we said before, if they can ever get Chris Davis back to where he was last year, they yeah. could have a really good offense. So, I don't know. I think the biggest thing or question or going into the postseason they had one like, will their starting pitching hold up? And you could say that about the Yankees too, because their pitching hasn't exactly been on fire throughout the whole season. So it'll be interesting to see if they ever go up against each other in a division series or something. So who would come out on top? But yeah, um, you see, that's interesting because the the relief pitching, the bullpen, has been the weak point this year. Um, and that's been the Yankees' strength, actually, is when it comes to pitching yeah. so much better than what their starters have done. <laughs> so it's almost like they'll be using their bullpen pretty early on in games because that's such a big strength. But I'm scared of that, yeah. too, because you don't want to overuse them. And, right. Because if you do, they're not going to be effective every time you throw them out there. So starters got to give them some way. Yeah. So 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 that's why they they brought in a rental player like um, Homer Bailey, um, Tanner Rourke. Yeah. I don't know if you saw him in that third game. Yeah, a little uh, bit. Yeah. He was shutting them down too. 
Yeah, bad body pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one? Um, and <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, Tim, but uh, Matt Harvey. <laughs> That's right, is, yeah. <laughs> he's in the minor leagues. <laughs> well, you got to be excited about that move, dude. That's yeah. what's going to put him over the top. <laughs> I, th- I, I think they're just curious about his fastball. Like, will he get his fastball back? It hasn't been back for years, so I don't see why it will now. <laughs> yeah, what happened to Matt Harvey? I know. Just, I mean, he was hurt, but the ball from Grace that big? I mean, he was the best yeah. pitcher in baseball for, what was it, 2013, 2012, like that, over the, that course of period with the Mets. Of course, he had the nickname the Dark Knight, which, yeah. you know, he should kind of lose that nickname since he's not with the Mets because that's the whole point of why he was called the Dark Knight <laughs> because of being in New York and the Gotham City, so to speak. So when he's with the Angels and now Oakland, he can't really be called the Dark Knight anymore. <laughs> yeah. And plus, he didn't yeah. live up to that title anyway because we know how awesome the title of the Dark Knight is. You can't just throw that upon anybody. Yeah, right. How was the Coliseum for you? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Did, did I ask you? Did, did, did you, you or in, Matt Harvey? Did, <laughs> uh, did, did you enjoy the the aesthetics of the Coliseum, seeing the Yankees play? I've seen it so many times now, and it just you yeah. know doesn't get any better. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the announce the Yankees announcers were making a point about how Oakland should get rid of the bullpen on the field <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> layout, like one of the last few stadiums that still has that, and it needs to go away. Well, where, where else are you going to put it? I mean. Can't put it in the outfield. There's nothing there. Yeah, and uh, stick it with the non-working bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I get the pictures nice and warmed up. That reminds me. Uh, another story from that book is so it's Game Seven of of the World Series against the Reds, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the Reds team, you know, with Pete Rose, uh, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, um, the big red machine, the big red machine. Um, so yeah, it's, it's game seven of the, the world series. And what are you going to do? You're going to teach somebody how to play first base hours before the the game starts. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like a way to win a big crucial game. (laughs) (laughs) That should be successful. It worked. Who was the player? Um, Gene Tennis. Yeah, never heard of him. Yeah. But hey, like you said, it worked, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it worked. <laughs> they got the um, championship. Yeah, uh, great series, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great book you're reading, too. So. <laughs> yeah. So any of you Oakland A's fans still listening and who are like Dane, check out, what was, check, what was the name again? <laughs> okay. I, I Hold on. I got to look it up again because I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I did it either. With that. Uh, Dynastic. Bombastic, fantastic by J by, by Jason Turbo. That's T U R B O W. That is real last name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he he also wrote about um. I I forget the the pitcher's name. The, the Mexican pitcher from uh, the Dodgers. Oh, that was Fernando really Valenzuela. Good. Yeah, Valenzuela. Yeah. Okay. He also wrote a whole book about him. So. <laughs> Oh, I guess if it's as good as the Oakland A's book with tons of stories like that, that'll be yeah. worth checking. Too, but. Yeah. 
But I guess moving on from Dane's crazy Oakland A stories <laughs> from that book, we can get a, go ahead and move on to our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. And for this episode, we're going to be going from minute 132 to minute 133, aka the two hour and 12th minute mark to the two hour and 13th minute mark. So as always, go ahead and get your relevant media format, your VHS tape, your Betamax tape, your DVD player your HD DVD, your Laserdisc, your film projector, your Blockbuster Video membership card, Netflix physical media, and of course, your VHS to DVD converter. So you got any of that good stuff, I'll go ahead and give the countdown. Dane, are you ready? Uh, oh, man. I, uh, <laughs> I, I need a second, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I, I was trying to rewind and I accidentally hit all the way back to the beginning. Ah. <laughs> I'm surprised that hasn't happened more often when we're doing our commentary. <laughs> yeah. We've made it yeah. so far. We really haven't had that issue while we're recording, I should say. Okay. I'm ready now. Okay. All right. Then I will give the countdown. Three, two, one, go. As the cops cheer, ready for the big climactic battle of the Dark Knight Rises. We made it, Dane. <laughs> yeah, finally. Should be, as we said in our last episode, should be nothing but not action for the foreseeable future in our one-minute commentaries. And I'm sure you remember, Dane, but this is some of the early leaked footage we've got of just, you know, set footage of filming the sequence out on the street. And I just remember thinking, yeah. man, this is going to be crazy and cool to see. <laughs> And also I, that um, that uh, police chase or the uh, bad pot chase uh, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I that's some right. pictures from that. Yeah, like all the like green screen effects, kind of on the lift and whatnot, kind right. of hiding <laughs> that it's going to be flying and whatnot. I just love the chaos in here. You've got cops and you got Bane's mercenaries going at it Bane taking down enemies and then Batman shows up in the smoke taking out Bane's thugs before they meet up just so good but we'll get to that <laughs> right now the minute is over uh, it's weird that this is a fist fight like, like wouldn't yeah. this be a gunfight I know you would think but that's kind of what I like about it because yeah. you know the cops are kind of in a desperate position without their weapons and being trapped under the sewer for so long and now they're immediately going into a fight so Right. Can't wait to talk about it as we move along. But moving on to our feature topic, it is going to be something that got springed off or actually gave me the idea for it that, you know, I don't want to say super controversial, but stuff that got Batman fans talking, in particular, Tim Drake, because our feature topic is going to be some of our favorite superhero costume redesigns. We know that's something that happens a lot in comics or within movies or TV shows. But the thing that made me want to talk about that is because Tim Drake recently got a new costume design. It's a cover that debuted on Young Justice number 10. I think when they, DC released their solicitations and Tim Drake got a new costume. And Dane, have you had a chance to see it? I'm trying to look it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could send it to you right now. If you okay. Want. Yeah, send it to me. So I'll wait to hear your reaction to it when you see it. Okay, let me let me check it out. There you go. Uh, hmm. Tim Drake redesign. I like it. Uh, 
there isn't much difference besides the uh, the color. It's definitely a different color scheme. It's brown with some black in there. I know everyone's making the joke about it's his UPS costume, <laughs> which <laughs> I think is funny. But honestly, I got to say, I'm disappointed with it. Because really? you know when they first announced Rebirth and Tim Drake got his classic Robin costume back, how that was one of my favorite aspects of Rebirth, that they were bringing that iconic costume back. And now that they're changing it, it's kind of like uh, they're going more away from the cool stuff in Rebirth, in particular with Tim Drake. Now, to be honest, I haven't read most of those, any of the Young Justice comics or kind of where Tim Drake is going since uh, the end of James uh, Tynan's t- Detective Comics run. But I'm not sure the reason why he's getting a new costume change, but I'm just disappointed that we just got his iconic suit back and now he's going to something different that doesn't resemble anything of Robin. And I think he's still going by the moniker of Red Robin, but not really a lot of red <laughs> in that costume. So I don't know. I don't think it's a horrible costume, but I'm just more disappointed that he doesn't have his classic suit anymore, which is one of my favorites. And you'll hear me talk about as we talk <laughs> or discuss our favorite costume. So yeah, seeing this one redesign just made me think, you know, what were some of the best superhero costume redesigns that actually I like better than their original costumes? So that's what's going to be our feature topic for this one. But it was, I don't know, came out of this reveal of Tim Drake's new costume design. So, so unfortunately, you won't be hearing his new costume on this list, <laughs> at least for uh, me. I don't know if it's immediately chopped up or jumped up to one of your favorites, Dane, but <laughs> you won't hear it from me. Um, it's actually my number one, Tim. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> So, yeah, as usual, I always got to do a top five, but I do have some honorable mentions because as I thought about it, I go, no, there's been some pretty cool redesigns and different costumes that superheroes have had. And I'm not just for me anyway, I'm not going to limit it to just comics. It's whether it was a movie that had a better costume or a TV show that had a better costume, an animated series, it could be anything. So, no, no limits to any costume that you feel was better than the original. But some of the ones that, didn't quite make my top 10 um, because they're good, but I don't think quite, you know, iconic or greatly surpassed the original one. But some of the ones I have on there would be uh, Nightwing from his first is black and blue going over his, you know, disco look with the, with the gold and the big neck design. The other suit is not really the best debut for Nightwing, but he definitely got a better one with his classic black and blue and wasn't a big fan when he changed his Nightwing logo to red when uh, new 52 started, but definitely glad his back to the blue. Then also um, Catwoman's redesigned by Darwin cook back in the early two thousands when he gave her, you know, that those goggles that really just, I don't know, something about those goggles, something really simple that just added to the character and the design of Catwoman that fits so well and made you think, you know, how come that wasn't been done before? <laughs> it just fits, you know, her cat look. And at the same time, being a thief as well. It's a suit that you would expect a thief to have, but yet still resembles living up to her name as Catwoman. So that was another good one that has stood to this day because that's the most design you see now for Catwoman. I'm really glad about that because it's awesome. Then some other ones, Green Lantern and the Flash, the Silver Age, because we know how the Golden Age Flash was Jay Garrick. Was that red T-shirt with a you know metal bucket on his head? <laughs> that's his helmet, which you know for the time I guess was okay. But once Barry Allen came in and he got that uh, classic red suit, you know Flash would have his iconic costume for years to come. And same with Green Lantern. Even though I liked Alan Scott's costume, 
cape maybe was a little too big, but still a solid design. But then when Hal Jordan came and we got the classic Green Lantern suit that pretty much almost every member of the Green Lantern Corps has was definitely a step above that. And then on the Marvel side, some other ones that come to mind, Daredevil, um, when he started off with his yellow costume, um, it's kind of the same design, but just the coloring was different. But once he got his classic all red suit, you just know that that is the look that Daredevil has to have <laughs> and stick with. So that was another one that was made for the better. And then this might be cheating a little bit, but just the, almost every X-Men character in the 90s. <laughs> once the Jim Lee took over, we got that X-Men number one, the iconic comic um, that brought in the X-Men team that for me is my definitive X-Men roster with you know the characters that made up that x-men and just their designs when you go with cyclops losing the egghead look <laughs> where you know he has his visor but you could see his hair which was such a classic look wolverine was kind of a different story because he had his original yellow and blue costume then it got changed to the brown and orange but then went back to the yellow and blue costume and i don't know about you dane but growing up i always thought the orange and brown one was Wolverine's original. And then when he switched to the yellow and blue, that was his new costume. And I thought, oh man, because I first heard and uh, learned about Wolverine when he had that brown and orange costume. So when he got his yellow one, I thought that was the new one. And just like, man, that's way better. But actually it's his original, but definitely a smart move to go back to that one because it is his iconic look. And just the other X-Men characters, how they looked in the in the 90s with that roster. I mean, Storm, Jean Grey, Rogue, Gambit, they beast, they all just look that to me. Everyone almost has, I guess, generation has a definitive X Men lineup and design, but those ones from the '90s, just all those characters who made up that team, just looked really, really cool and hasn't been surpassed <laughs> since then. Because the X Men have definitely gone through different designs and costumes, but that one's always going to be the definitive one for me. And then, lastly, in my honorable mentions, how can I not have them? Even though you might think it's a small design change. But it's actually pretty big. And that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going from just their red bandanas to their colored ones. Like I said, you think it's such a small thing. But when the animated series gave him the colors, Leonardo Blue, Donatello Purple, Raphael with red. He's the only one who stayed with the original colors. Then Michelangelo's orange. It just became so definitive for the turtles that any incarnation since then, they have to have their color schemes. And this wouldn't be the turtles without those colored bandanas it's just such a staple for them now and it's part of what makes them you know part of the charm of the turtles i guess because you always identify each turtle with their colors so that was a big design change at the or i should say it might not have seemed like a big design change at the time but it ended up being a huge one and just such a definitive aspect of the turtles so those are some of my honorable though honorable if i could talk (laughs) honorable mentions before i get into my top five i don't know if you had any dane that you want to throw out just as some honorable mentions uh, yeah, just a, just a small one, um, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't know the the comic c- comics context. I don't know what you call it of of it, or the TV show, or even the movie. <laughs> uh, but that is uh, Spider Man's black spider suit. Mm-hmm. I just for some reason as a kid, I just thought that was the coolest thing. Well, I'll elaborate on that when I get to my list because it's in yeah. there somewhere. <laughs> all I, I can mean, say I, is, I know the I'm... movie implication because I saw that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all saw that movie. <laughs> yes, we did. But, but 
I'm glad it's at least in your honorable mentions. Yeah. But beginning with my top five, I'm, it's going to begin with a Marvel character, and it is going to be Iron Man, because talk about a drastic change to your costume, <laughs> because you remember the first appearance that Iron Man had in the comic was the same suit he had in the beginning of the movie that he built in the cave, just this big, bulky metal gray suit with not much design to it, just something he had to piece together to get out of there. But that was his first suit in the comics as well, and it, it was just very simple. It definitely fit with the name Iron Man, but little, I guess, did people know at the time what a big change he would have and become an iconic costume design in all of comics because it's just such a radical change. It wasn't something that was just, you know, changing color or just a few tweaks here and there. It was a total redesign, and it, talk about a change for the better. It easily surpasses that original Iron Man costume. The sleek look uh, with the gold and the red, it's just such a great combination of those two colors for a design that makes them look like, you know, a human robot <laughs> pretty much. But and it's gone through variations through over the years, you know, with different variations on the colors, the sleek looks to the helmet or just the suit design in general. But that classic aesthetic has always remained that uh, red and gold or red and yellow look to it that you know just became an iconic look for iron man and especially you know now with the movies and the, the you know going to the mainstream and everyone's seeing what a cool costume iron man does have and talk about a lot of variations because even the movies had home so many different designs and i love how in avengers endgame spoiler alert iron man's last movie <laughs> but he had his uh, not original original but once they first made that design in the comics with the red and yellow, um, the way it looked in that original comic is the way Tony's suit looked in Avengers Endgame. So I thought that was a kind of a cool way for Iron Man to go out on, just kind of being in that original redesign look of the red and blue. So got to give it to Iron Man for my number five pick because it's such a radical change from the original one, but uh, a design that was made so much better. Uh, my number five pick is going to be uh, from a, a, a video game okay. that yeah that's uh that's gonna be harley ah okay. i i really love that harley look maybe if you just covered up a certain spot a little more <laughs> uh because i don't think she needs that well uh, should i ask you which art which game was it first arkham second arkham uh city arkham city okay second. yeah i i just like her look um you know, you kind of get rid of that, uh, I don't know what you call it, the jester's hat <laughs> yeah. uh, thing with the domino mask. Um, you know, it's a little more practical. Uh, it's it's subtler. I don't know if that's a word. It's more <laughs> subtle. Uh, the, the, the red and the black don't pop out as much. Um, mm. And I like how they, they give her the pigtails and one, co- one is one color and the 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 other pigtails in another color, just like her jester's hat, yep. you know? So I thought that was a really, really good, um, design. And, and, and you know, it, it shows because they, they kind of use that image or the image of Harley in the Arkham games for the, for the suicide squad movie. So. You're right. Yeah. I mean, Harley's had a lot of different costume redesigns as well, but you're yeah. right. That was definitely one of the better ones because it kind of, had that classic color aesthetic that you rec or associate with Harley, but doing something different with it that worked. So yeah, right. Good choice there. And so for my number four pick, 
you know, this is going to be the only Batman costume that's on my list. And we probably could have done a whole episode of favorite Batman costume redesigns because he's had plenty of them. But this is the one that has stuck with me the most that I felt worked really well. And this is going on the movie front. And this is going to be Batman's 1989 all black costume. And it's something where, I mean, we talked about plenty of times, even not so long ago when we were doing our 30th anniversary look back at Batman 1989 a few episodes ago, but just how iconic this suit has become. But it's something where when you think about it, you makes you think, you know, how come this wasn't done earlier before the movie where Batman was just all in black because we know he's a dark character and black would be something that you think he would use to, you know, move around in the shadows, establish fear against criminals. But it was always, you know, the black and gray, the blue and gray costume in the comics that he wore for so long. But seeing that first image of Michael Keaton's Batman costume where it was all black, it just blew me away just how cool it looked. It sent such like a natural fit for Batman to have, for his costume to have in this movie. And I loved it so much. It works so well on screen. And it's become something where you don't see too much in comics where Batman just has all black. But a lot of, you know, of course, pretty much almost every movie since Batman has had costumes that was all black or really dark close to it, like a dark gray, like in the dark night. But just that color aesthetic just really stood with Batman movies going forward until we got to Batman v Superman, where he had his classic black and gray comic look, which was awesome. But once I saw that 89 costume, all I wanted was every Batman to have that black suit. <laughs> I mean, I said it before how one of my shames of, you know, being a huge Batman the animated series fan was that when it was first announced that I got my first look at Batman in the show, I was disappointed that he didn't have the black costume because <laughs> I just wanted every Batman to be like the movie as a young kid being obsessed with them at that time. That's how much I love the suit. I just wanted to see it everywhere. And it's just a look for Batman that will always have a special place in my heart and I think will always look cool. And, you know, it's not my all-time favorite Batman costume design, but it's one that's pretty high up there. It's just such a great look. The all-black and the you got the yellow oval logo of the bat symbol on the chest that just makes the costume work so well so gotta give props to that batman 1989 costume and the costume designer tim burton everyone involved with making that iconic suit that has stood the test of time as being one of the greatest batman costumes ever yeah that's good because it ties into my next um my next choice which is Batman and Robin, right? <laughs> yeah. The, specifically, the silver suit. <laughs> uh, no, uh, that that's going to be uh, um, Batman the Dark Knight suit. Mm, uh, the, the the David Finch one. It had that that um, yellow symbol on the chest, but but it also had that homage to the classic Batman look with the gray the gray suit. But yeah. it also had the black cape and cowl. So, yeah, I, I I love that suit. That that is for me is almost almost on that level of the '89 Keaton suit. Uh, I ju- I just love the look of it. Um, it's bulky. It's big, uh, and it's it it pays homage to like like I said the the old suit, but also the black Batman the you know, the Batman that you were just talking about. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's a cool one. And 
definitely probably the highlight of David Finch's Dark Knight run. Yeah. <laughs> the stories. <laughs> yeah, but then it got better, Tim. So why don't we focus on the good part of it? Yeah, that is true. Thanks to Greg Horowitz, who had <laughs> some, <right. laughs> who saved that book, really. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so my number three pick, and this is one that I feel is an underrated costume redesign because you don't hear it talk about too much, and I, but I just love it. And that is the Cassandra Kane Batgirl costume. And this is Batgirl always had a cool costume. Barbara Gordon of uh, look as Batgirl always was cool and felt uh, felt a fit um, with with her character, and you know wasn't exactly copying Batman, but had her own look as well. But you do still know it was Bat inspired, so it was always a great costume design. But when Cassandra Kane took over, I just loved how her costume made her seem something like a bat ninja <laughs> because I love costumes. I mean, as much as I love the cow for Batman, I just love it when masks or helmets cover your whole face to give you, it just makes the character look cooler. And the fact that Cassandra Kane's Batgirl costume, her mask covered her whole face. It just looked really, really cool. And you mix that in with an all a black suit, maybe draw an inspiration from Batman 89 or was it black or a dark gray? But it was a dark tone, but it just looked really cool. It had a, the cape worked really well, but it all comes down down to that mask. And you know, Cassandra Kane is a martial arts expert. She's a deadly or could be a deadly assassin. And the fact that that suit kind of captured that as far as having that ninja aesthetic to it, I felt was really fit the character and just made her so so awesome. It's a look that I wish would come back. I know she has a pretty cool costume as Orphan, but. Nothing will compare to that Batgirl costume. And even though Cassandra Kane might not be Batgirl anymore, whether it's Barbara Gordon right now or a future Batgirl, I just hope that looks come back or, or comes back in some way. Or maybe have, you know, a Batgirl team up where, you know, you got Barbara Gordon, you got Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Kane kind of teaming up as uh, their former uh, Batgirl costumes and Cassandra Kane could suit up in that awesome suit again. That would be amazing. I would just love to see it back in some capacity because i think it's really really cool and underrated because um you just don't see it much or talk heard it talk about it so too often and i would love it for or i would love it to have that uh place as one of the better costume design because i think it's awesome and just one of the if definitely the best batgirl costume but definitely one of the bat best bat character costumes that they've had i just think it's really really cool are you ready to be surprised tim or or, or maybe not Maybe not that surprised. <laughs> oh, lay it on me. Um, my next choice is going to be Arrow. Oh, wow. See, I am surprised. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good, good. Uh, I just never really liked that aesthetic in the comics of the man in tights sort of thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> that Robin Hood thing. Uh, so when I first saw Arrow, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I know they're kind of ripping off. The Dark Knight, what you know, Christopher Nolan kind of did with with the bat suit, you know, making making it practical. But yeah, I just, I, I just never really liked the the man in tights, uh, Robin Hood sort mm-hmm. of look with the with the quill hat. <laughs> you know, uh, it it definitely works in comics, but it'd be hard to pull off, in, especially with the tone they were setting with Arrow. Yeah, <laughs> he was yeah. walking around in that costume. Definitely fits the tone of Arrow, the TV show. Um, but yeah, I just like it. It's it's essentially just a jacket with a hood. Yeah. And, you know, that's all you need, essentially, for, for Green Arrow. So 
The only yeah, thing that, I that's... didn't like about his first costume was that it didn't have the mask. He just had to paint his you know face so that made it look like a mask. See, I like that. Really? In, instead of that weird-looking Batman and Robin domino mask that comes like three feet off your face, <laughs> you know, that, that they brought back for Titans. I, I just think that, that that's a really bad look. Um, yeah, I, I just never liked that domino mask. Um, we're going to paste this on your face sort of thing. Uh-huh. Whereas Arrow, it's just black, black paint, you know? So. See, I always think about the practical aspect of it. If he's, you know, at a party or a function, some trouble happens, he has to get in his Arrow costume. To me, it would take a long time to get that paint just right covering your eyes <laughs> to make sure no one sees who you are when you can just throw a mask on and get out there to save the day. <laughs> to me, yeah, just so like... Well- what extra step that would cost time when you're getting in your superhero costume? Well, also, the the domino mask would also present a problem because it'd be like, okay, wait, I got to get on my glue. And then, <laughs> <laughs> it could be one maybe with a string. You just flip it on in your back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think if that were a real thing, Tim, it would be held on by more than just a cheap <laughs> party <Yeah>. hat string. <laughs> That's all the domino masks I had as a kid were like that. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Every time I would pretend I was either Robin or the Lone Ranger, I had, man, I had this one black domino mask that I think I got actually, it was like a Lone Ranger kit or something like that, where I had the mask, I had like silver bullets, like a toy gun. And man, I wore that thing to death, both playing the Lone Ranger and Robin. But it was a really good mask. It lasted a long time. <laughs> but it all yeah. stayed on that one piece of string. <laughs> also, the, uh, the Batman columns, right? Yeah, um, would just be held on by a string. Like it wouldn't cover like the back of your head. No, nope. would just cover the front, <laughs> the front of your head. <laughs> I I did like how in Arrow season two when he got his Domino mask, it was a gift from the Flash. Because yeah. even Barry knew, you know, so much better than paint on your face. <laughs> also, the cheapy uh, Darth Vader uh, costume. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would just be the the Vader mask on the front. You can't spend too much money to give your kids a uh, mask of their favorite characters <laughs> to play around with. Probably because they'll end up breaking it anyway by using it too much and having fun with it. Speaking of Star Wars, um, I was I was talking with my dad. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, my dad doesn't really care about Star Wars. He, he just really changed that, Dane. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he just really likes uh, Spider-Man for some reason. Um, which is awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, which is still good. But he, you know, he doesn't keep up with Star Wars. He doesn't know what's going on, right? And then he, he, I was talking with him, and then for some reason Star Wars came up, and he goes, how come they changed the name from Star Wars to Star Force? And <laughs> oh, I was wow. like, Wait, what? <laughs> they, they didn't change the, 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 the name of the, the franchise. He's like, yeah, yeah, I was... I, I, I was I was looking at something and you know blah 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 and then I saw Star Force and it, 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 they, they were talking about Jedi's and stuff and you know how come they changed the name? I was like, oh okay, wait, like, like, like what were you looking at? I know, I'm curious <laughs> to know where this is going from. <laughs> he, he, he was he was uh, walking through Best Buy and he had seen a a, a Blu-ray for Star Wars. Okay, colon, 
The Force Awakens. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Still wondering where Star Force comes in here. Yeah, I guess you just saw Star and Force, and you're like, how come they, how come they, how come they change the name to Star Force? So he just completely missed Awakens. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah the. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, at least you were there to clear it up for him, Dane. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't want him to go walk around thinking Star Wars is now called Star Force. <laughs> Well, that's funny though. I wonder what he, he would have. I wonder what he would have came up with if he saw the Blu-ray for uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> he might have thought that would be the last Star Wars movie ever. Yeah. Star, Star Wars, Wars, the last. <laughs> Star Wars, the last. Or Star Rogue. Star or, Rogue for Rogue One. Yeah, Star Solo. Yeah, <laughs> Star Han. Oh no! Wait, Han no, it's, the, it's yeah. just solo. Yeah, <laughs> or star sort star story solo. Right? <laughs> star story solo, right? Solo story. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But going back to my number two pick, so alluded to this a little earlier, and it is going to be Tim Drake's first original Robin costume. And yes, it just has to explain why I'm not too crazy about his new redesign. It's all because this Robin suit is perfect. Yes, it's just perfect. I think that's the best way to describe it because, you know, the original Robin costume that Dick Grayson and Jason Todd had, you know, it fit for a little kid. But, you know, with the little <laughs> short shorts that he had on and the pixie boots, he knew it had to change <laughs> going as, you know, the years went by. Especially as Robin got older, too. And when Tim Drake over, he was going to be more of a teenager. And, man, once that costume got redesigned, it just... It had to be like a eureka moment (laughs) for those involved with the creating of it. And just for everyone who saw it as well for the first time. I know I did. It just, just, you know, clicked. Man, this is is Robin for, you know, a new generation. Or a Robin that's going to be older and one that's going to speak to new fans getting into comics and the characters. And that's how it was for me. And I probably said this before, but my first exposure to the new costume that Tim Drake had was an action figure that I believe was a tie in for either Batman returns or 89. I forget which one, Um, but it was part of that toy line. And when I saw that red or not red, (laughs) that yellow and black cape, and how it was, you know, a full length cape, not a short one like Robin always had. It was just, you know, amazing to see. I, I just can't describe how perfect it was for Robin. You kept the classic look and color design of the original costume, but you just updated it for a new generation. And it was just perfect. It's the best way to blend in the old with the new. You're not, you know, losing any of the classic elements that the Robin costume had, but you're adding new aspects to it that just makes it even better and you know the effects of that costume design were felt across all mediums of batman obviously the animated series took that design uh, batman forever took that design for their robin costume it just continued down the line and that's why i was first bummed when you know rebirth started and tim drake or actually before rebirth when he became red robin and he had his first costume there which you know wasn't a horrible costume design but doesn't match up to his robin costume and well, I should, I should even go back further because I think his, as Robin, they got a new costume design where it became more of an all red look instead of the green and red. And just down the line, every new costume Tim Drake had, 
in my opinion, just got worse and worse <laughs> and worse, continuing now with his UPS brown outfit. But that's why I was so excited when Rebirth happened, and he went back to that classic look because that is Tim Drake to me. That is his definitive costume, and it just pains me to see it every time he moves on to something else because it just doesn't feel right when he's in another costume. That Robin design is Tim Drake, and that's what I'll always associate with the character. And, you know, I think it's part of the reason why he's one of the more popular Robins. Of course, it's more character-driven in the stories he's been in, the personality he has, the way he acts and operates as a Robin and within the Bat family. But uh, that costume plays a part in it as well, I think, to why it just drew people to him in the first place when they saw how great that design was for this new Robin being introduced. So, yeah, that's going to always have a high spot on my favorite just costumes in general, regardless if it's a redesign or not. It's just the perfect element of the Robin costume. So, yeah, that had to be my number two pick on there. I just love it so much. And hopefully it won't be too long until I see it again in current comic stories for Tim Drake. Because, you know, how comics work. They eventually always go back to the classics and what made, you know, characters work in the first place. You know, hence Rebirth doing that. So hopefully it won't be too long until Tim Drake's back in that iconic costume again. Yeah, you see, for my number one, I had to... Um, my number two and my number one, oh. um, you know, it required, like, a lot, of, a lot of thinking and a lot of, like, okay, but I like... I mean, th- this was the big thing back when I first got into comics, and, you know, this is what I really like now, or like now. Um, so my, num- my number two and my number one, you know, I really had to kind of lay it out and think about it. Um, but I think I've finally come to the conclusion that my number two is going to be Batwoman. Uh-huh. Uh, because I can understand why that would be a tough choice for you. Yeah, because it's not really a redesign. It's it's just an updated look, right? Mm. It's not a total head-to-toe redesign. It's just a little more updated. There's sort of that pinup girl aesthetic to it um but yeah besides that it's it's just the the classic batwoman look i mean there's a lot more red and black but uh it's just the just the classic look i i, I like i mean if you've listened to this podcast <laughs> um you know i like what um jh williams the third did with um with the look of uh, of Batwoman and Kate Kane, um, I, I especially like the, the like the little aspect that the wig isn't. I mean, it's it, it's a wig. It's not her hair. Yeah. <laughs> because that, that would be bad. Because you know somebody can just you know grab onto it and you know punch her or whatever. Um. So yeah, my number two, unfortunately. <laughs> And I'm probably going to lose my Batwoman card uh, is his <laughs> Batwoman. Now, I'm curious to see what your number one pick to top Batwoman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's my number one is the, that was the first character design period that I, I glommed onto. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the greatest look I've ever seen in any comic in it, you know, anywhere, really. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that Batwoman costume is a really cool costume design. And I will say part of 
the reason I think I first liked it because I it took inspiration from the Batman Beyond costume, at least with the Bat logo she uses. The design of it's pretty similar, and with the red coloring, you just can't help but think of Batman Beyond. <laughs> so that's another reason why I think it looks cool, but it totally fits uh, with her character. And yeah, yeah, good choice. Speaking of Batman Beyond, let me just mention real quick on DC Universe, the episodes, or at least the first season, their episodes are now in HD. Give me a little preview what the Blu-ray, the, uh, man, I can't talk on this episode, <laughs> what the Blu-ray quality is going to look like. And man, it looks really good. <laughs> I watched two episodes last night and man, I can't wait to get that whole box set because having the whole series look like that is going to be pretty darn cool. So anyone who has the DC Universe app, go ahead and check out some of those episodes from the first season of Batman Beyond and watch them in the best quality it's ever been in. <laughs> it really looks cool. So yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, and um, speaking of animated series, is there an episode of the, I don't know if it's the original Batman the Animated Series or, I have a vague, vague memory, Tim, of, it's either a Riddler episode or it's a Scarecrow episode where, like, at the end, there's just like a crazy guy, the guy goes crazy, and that's the end of the episode. Well, there is a Riddler episode called Riddler's Reform, where he pretends to, you know, be a reformed criminal, goes into a legit, legit yeah. business, but, you know, he can't, you know, lose his bad habits and he still ends up being a criminal, leaving riddles for Batman. But then he has a trap for Batman that he thinks he can't get out of and he thinks he killed Batman, but Batman survives. And he's just puzzled to how Batman survived. There is no way. And Batman won't tell him. He just goes, that's my riddle. And then the end of the episode is just Riddler and Arkham screaming like, how did he do it? How I've got to know. How did he survive? He's just like yelling and you see the other inmates covering their ears, being annoyed by Riddler. He's just yelling like a madman, wondering how Batman survived his trap. So I don't know if that's what you're thinking of, because he did sound like a crazy guy <laughs> just yelling at the top of his lungs at the end of that episode. Yeah. What's the name of that episode? Riddler's Reform. Riddler's Reform. Yeah. Okay. I don't so, know. Like I, I don't know. I, I I just remember seeing that episode or a episode as a kid. And I was like, wow, that's a that's a dark ending for a children's <laughs> cartoon show. <laughs> I don't know if that's it though. I'm not sure. Hmm. And of course, there was a scene for for the first Scarecrow episode. It ends with yeah. Batman, you know, gassing him with his own fear toxin, and. He goes crazy there, but it's not like yeah. the last scene of the episode because no. then he just leaves him in Commissioner Gordon's office hanging yeah. <laughs> on the ceiling fan, which is a great look, though. <laughs> it's visually funny seeing Craig spinning on the ceiling fan about <laughs> Batman left room, but probably not the one you're thinking of. Also, uh, I remember being scared of the, the Two-Face episodes. You know what? I can understand that if you were a yeah. little kid because those were pretty heavy <laughs> watching those as a young kid especially you know seeing how harvey dent was in some earlier episodes in yeah. that first part and then seeing him become two-faced so yeah yeah let's let's put the intricacies of mental illness in our children's cartoon show <laughs> that sounds like a great idea hey that's part of the reason why batman the animated series is one of the best yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but for my number one pick Dane, you mentioned it at the outset, but it's my number one. 
the symbiote black spider-man costume really yes it's your number one yes it is i love 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 that suit i mean talk about i mean spider-man's costume is iconic it's one of the coolest looking superhero costumes ever and the fact that they can surpass it with an even better one that to me is why it's the symbiote costume is my number one is because it's it's so cool in its design it's so simple too it's just all black with a really cool white spider logo on there but there's something about it that works so well. And for me, it even surpasses the original one. It just makes Spider-Man look like an even cooler character. And oh, I just love it so much <laughs> because any shot in the comic where he's in, he looks awesome. The animated series, the original 90s one, it looked fantastic in there. I remember being blown away thinking, wow, they really captured the essence and why that symbiote costume is just really, really cool. And unfortunately, I can't say the same about Spider-Man 3 and how that black costume looked because it's pretty much just painted his original costume black. And that's it. Didn't have any of the cool elements that the design in the comics had. And but what irks me about Spider-Man 3, just one of the things there was I might have said this before and just talking to you about it, Dane, where there is a shot where I guess they were doing test uh, test footage or test uh, costume fittings about the design they're going to go with in Spider-Man 3. And they actually did have the original comic design symbiote look. And it looked really cool just in that, you know, kind of crappy behind the scenes uh, image that was leaked out somehow. But man, it looked cool. And I wish they would have stuck with that for the movie. But man, that design is just every time Spider-Man has it, whether it's an unlockable costume in a game, I always go to that. That's my default Spider-Man costume (laughs) or he has gone back to it sometimes in the comics. I know the big thing was the Back in Black series in 2007 to tie in with Spider-Man 3. It wasn't the symbiote, but it was just because after he lost the symbiote, even Peter Parker liked the costume so much. He made his own suit that looked like that. And there's some cool, there's a cool story where he actually fights Venom in his own homemade black costume. And Venom has the symbiote, of course. And just the visually of those two characters and their similar designs going at it was just awesome. So... Anytime Peter Parker goes back to that costume, I always love it. And just recently, leading up to Spider-Man was it 800, I believe, um, where he actually takes on the symbiote. He takes it back for a little bit because he needed some extra strength and abilities to take down uh, the Green Goblin who was at the Carnage symbiote. And man, just seeing Spider-Man again in the black costume, but having to actually be the symbiote was amazing. So... Uh, that costume will always be my favorite redesign ever just because it surpassed an already iconic, amazing, cool costume, <laughs> something that would seem impossible. So uh, there's one thing I'm still waiting to see in comic book movies, and we've seen a lot of stuff that I never thought we'd get to see in actual movies featuring comic book characters. I'm still waiting to see the classic, original symbiote Spider-Man design in a film. And if we can get that somewhere down the line... I'll die a happy Spider-Man fan and comic book nerd. But until then, I just got to stick with the comics and animated series because it's just so, so cool. I just, again, I just love how simple it is, but yet it works on so many levels and just makes that Spider-Man an even cooler character when he has it, which is, you know, saying something because he's already such a cool character. But that symbiote costume just adds another layer and element to it. So, yeah, I mean, that's just the look. And like, I hadn't even really gone into the abilities and powers and the symbiote costume brings to Spider-Man as well, enhancing his strength, being able to, you know, 
change to any clothes that he wants just using the symbiote. And just the effect of the symbiote going on him, I always thought was cool. And some, again, missing in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> if, but if Venom, the new Venom movie, the, the one thing it got right, it was how the symbiote worked and how cool it looks. Just, you know, Eddie Brock calling on it to become his costume. Just visually, I just love how the symbiote goes on a character and just becomes a new entity <laughs> with Venom. So there's so many aspects about that black symbiote that I love. So that's why it's my number one. And I don't know if it'll ever be top <laughs> as far as a costume redesign that just so far outpasses the original. And it's just one of my favorite costumes in general. This and just Batman's costume are my two favorites. I don't know which one I like over the other. It's one of those hard decisions that I hate to make that you always somehow force me to do, Dane. <laughs> when there's two things I just absolutely love and can't decide which is my favorite. But that's how much I love it. So, yeah. Spider-Man's black symbiote costume is my all-time number one favorite superhero costume redesign. Okay, so Vader or this suit? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> uh, see, I never even compared the two until you actually said this right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> so, great. Thank you a lot, Dave. Uh, man, they're so different, but yet so cool. Yeah. I can't do it. Uh, if, Maybe I'll get if, back to it at the end of the episode. I need time to think about this. Okay, okay. <laughs> that that black suit wasn't in Sp- the the Spider Man game, was it? No, it wasn't. Yeah, that was like the one omission. <laughs> I wish it would be in the PS4 game, but I think it's probably because you know they're setting up the symbiote to be a big part of the story moving forward. If you beat the game, you know why. Yeah. But the final costume he had at the end, where he fight Doctor Octopus. It looks pretty similar to that. I remember I saw some screenshots of yeah. you know people using the camera feature of the game and posting it on Twitter. I got, oh, the symbiote suit is in it? But then when I looked closer, I thought, oh, no, it's something different. But it kind of gets the job done, sort of, <laughs> if you're looking for a, a design that's pretty similar to it. That's the one you would have to go to if you need your symbiote fix. Yeah, once I got the Stark suit, I, I didn't use any other suit except for the classic. Yeah, so, uh, which Stark suit the... Iron Spider or the one he wears in you know, Civil War, his first one? Uh, whichever the one with the um, the spider legs. Okay, yeah. The, back. the Iron Spider suit, okay. Yeah. That one was definitely one I would use to, to complete some of those you know, uh, kingpin uh, missions where you go to the yeah. warehouse and you stop them and you need to you know, rank up your points. That right, definitely came right. in handy. But I always use the classic, or not the classic, but... Uh, the Spider-Man costume he used in Captain America Civil War that Tony Stark gave him. I just loved how that looked in the game. It, one of yeah. those things where it felt classic, but yet new too. <laughs> so uh, that was my go-to one. I was I was talking about the um, the the cartoon one. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. one's good too. <laughs> yeah, it totally doesn't fit in with the graphics of the uh, yeah the New York City world of Spider-Man. <laughs> definitely pops out at you though <laughs> there's something <laughs> cool about it though even though it doesn't quite fit um so yeah uh my number one like i said i had to battle in my head <laughs> i'm know, curious to hear what this is which one is number one um but i finally settled on this one because it was the first comic that, i mean i had been reading comics before that be, be, before this character's introduction i, I should say uh but I didn't really have a connection to a character design-wise as much as I did with uh, this character, which is uh, 
Cassandra Kane's Batgirl. Ah, nice. <laughs> uh, I know she was what your number four? Uh three. Three. Yeah, but I remember seeing her uh, Batgirl suit and was just totally blown away by it with the with the no exposed mouth area. It was a complete cowl, or it was a cowl, but it had like a a patch of fabric stitched yeah. onto it, which which I thought was cool. Um, you know, it's 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 really 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 dark. It's darker than the bat suit, I say, um, and. I, I've said this on the podcast before, but No Man's Land was what really made me a Batman fan. And, you know, besides, you know, the big story points in in, in that story, the, the one thing I always remember is uh, Cassandra's Batsuit. And it's, it's, it's like, when I think of No Man's Land, I almost immediately think of her bat suit. Um, and of course I read her, uh, uh, Batgirl's uh, ongoing series and the, I, f- I forget what, what it was after that. Um, what was it, Tim? Yeah. I'm trying to think too, because after that was it after ended. the no man's land stuff. That's kind of when I fell off comics and I wasn't getting much oh. during that time. So, Oh, but anyway, yeah, I remember reading her ongoing series, whatever came after that. And I mean, I know they try to rebrand her as, uh, well, first, uh, Black Bat. And then. That's uh, right, man. I forgot about that name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Black Bat in um, Batman Odyssey? No, not not Odyssey. No, not Odyssey. Incorporated? Incorporated, right, right, right. Uh, she, She was the Batman in Japan. Right. It's been a while since yeah. I read the book. Probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, yeah, and they tried to reintroduce her as orphan, but she will always be bad girl Cassandra Kane with that cool outfit. And I wish they <laughs> they would bring it back. And if if I didn't really care about continuity and story and you know how it how it would look, I would want to see a Cassandra Kane bad girl movie live action movie uh, but yeah it's, it's it's just the one design that i keep coming back to that i keep c- kind of like you with uh the the, the spider-man sy- uh, symbiote suit it's it's just the one design i keep coming back to i keep thinking about um and and what i compare some superhero designs to um so yeah for me it's it's the cassandra kane batgirl like, like, I don't think DC has topped that yet for me. Anyway, right, I am surprised that actually beat out Batwoman for you because yeah, I know you've always liked it, but I haven't heard you rave about it <laughs> so much more. <laughs> I would think it'd be your number one pick, but yeah. yeah, I can't blame you. It is like I said too. It is an awesome look that needs to be brought back some way somehow. It's just too cool to have it be sitting on the shelf somewhere, <laughs> not being used. Yeah, and. It's it's just like I said, one of the designs that, for me anyway, that DC hasn't really topped yet. And I remember picking up No Man's Land when it was coming out and flipping through it really quick, not reading any of the story now, just to see the the Cassandra Kane Batgirl pages. It, even if she, 
and, and like some issues, most issues, she wasn't even in it. So, yeah. Yeah, for me, well, that just made it more uh, special whenever you did see it <laughs> yeah, on the comic so, page. <laughs> so for me, it's uh, yeah, Cassandra's that girl. Cool. Yeah. Well, there's no denying it's it's one of the best. So yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's our feature topic of our favorite costume redesigns that superheroes have had. You know, they have to do one for villains, too, because right now, it's off the top of my head, I could think of a couple, namely Scarecrows in the animated series. I actually might oh, yeah. spoil it as being my number one if we ever do that list. <laughs> so <laughs> if we don't get around to that, just no Scarecrow from the new Batman Adventures would be my number one villain redesign. So, yeah, yeah I mean. If- well, I mean, you see, the question is, do do you count the 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 animated series Joker as a redesign? Um, for me personally, no. Yeah. Because obviously, how he looks is just like facial wise, it's different. But all the aesthetics are there: white makeup or not makeup, but white skin, green hair, purple suit. Not yeah. really much difference than SARS's, as you know design for animation, which obviously is going to be different from the comics. So yeah, I wouldn't count the Joker. The Dark yeah. Knight now, because of the makeup. I could probably count that though as a kind of a redesign. Uh, yeah. Well, he 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 has the scars, which is that's another new. thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's just there. Heath Ledger's face, so yeah. yeah. So maybe we will have to do a villain at some point, <laughs> even though we probably gave away some of our picks. <laughs> uh, Talia in Rises redesign. Mm-hmm. No, uh, not really. I mean, just a wardrobe change, really, is about, or, you know, I mean, technically it's all wardrobe changes in the stuff we're talking about, but yeah. it's basically just clothes you can, you know, get anywhere, it seems like. <laughs> There's nothing too special about it. Yeah, you see, that's the problem with the, the Dark Knight trilogy. It's, it's just a wardrobe change, or it's yeah. just clothes that you can buy at, <laughs> you, you can buy it at Salvation Army. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the negative effects of the grounded approach that Christopher Nolan took with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do you make action figures? I mean, wasn't that a big thing? Like, how do you make, like, they didn't really make action figures because you can't really. Yeah. And they even had to add characters who aren't even in the movies. I remember Deathstroke coming out as part of the, like the Dark Knight <laughs> toy line. Everyone was wondering, oh, is Deathstroke going to be in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, Fun discussion there. If anyone yeah. listening want to share your favorite costume redesigns, go ahead and let us know via Twitter at Batfans Podcast or send us an email at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there with different picks and it'd be kind of cool to hear what some of your guys' favorites are. So yeah. if you're interested, let us know. Hey, Tim, you know, I just saw uh, our news and discussion topics and I, 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 see, I see what you, you wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so yeah so, it's coming now <laughs> so i'll just uh, i'll just be making a sandwich i'll be right back <laughs> in in it's in three hours <laughs> uh so yeah, i'll see you at the end of the episode then Dean. yeah <laughs> but unfortunately you know not much going on as far as the batman front as far as big news since our last episode but uh, as we're talking Spider-Man and my favorite costume design being the black symbiote suit, uh, we got some bad news regarding Spider-Man. And it has to do with the movie Spider-Man and him probably not being in the MCU for much longer. And boy, was I bummed when I heard that. <laughs> because 
it happened this week or this past week on Tuesday, I believe reports came out that Sony is not going to, or Kevin Feige from Marvel studios will not be involved in producing the next solo Spider-Man film, which pretty much means that Disney and Sony couldn't agree on a new deal to keep Spider-Man in the MCU and then work together doing these Spider-Man movies and how it always been since the first time they struck this deal to get Spider-Man in the MCU it was always these short-term contracts that they would make. Um, the first time it was just Spider-Man was going to appear in a Marvel movie, which was Civil War, and Marvel Studios would make for Sony a solo Spider-Man film, which was Homecoming. That was it. But it proved to be so successful, they had to do more. So they worked out some new deals where, obviously, Spider-Man got to appear in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, and they made a Spider-Man sequel, Far From Home, and they were trying to negotiate a new deal, and it seems like that fell apart. Which is right now, currently, as we stand, that Spider-Man is leaving the MCU. And I cannot be more disappointed with that. Because uh, for the first time since 2004, I think Spider-Man cinematically has been in the best place he's been. Because these, there's so many reasons why this version of Spider-Man works so well beyond him just being in the MCU. I mean, got Tom Holland is my favorite Spider-Man in live action now. He's the actor who perfectly captures both Peter and Spider-Man, which is something I couldn't say about Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield. It was kind of one or the other for them. For me, it was Peter or Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker and Andrew Garfield as a better Spider-Man. But Tom Holland nails both aspects of the character. So it's just great. And then seeing Spider-Man be in this world with other heroes, finally something that only sent like an impossible dream back during the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man days. And once, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe got going and then realizing they don't have the rights to them, Sony is doing their own thing. It's something like Spider-Man mixing it up with other Marvel superheroes would be something that would never happen. And when it did, it felt like a dream come true. It felt seeing something that's, you know, we've seen Spider-Man do in comics and animated series because Spider-Man mixes up with a lot of heroes. And that's just part of his charm, I think, because he he's so adaptable. He can go, you know, toe-to-toe or be on the level of any Marvel superhero. And now we're going to see that on the big screen in live action movies. It just filled me with excitement. And then seeing it work so well right off the bat in Civil War, just how great not only Tom Holland was, but just how fun it was seeing him interact with the other heroes. It was everything I was hoping it would be. And that just continued in Avengers and his solo movies where, you know, we had Iron Man showing up in Spider-Man Homecoming, which was awesome. And then Far From Home just... Characters don't even have to be Nick Fury was the big MCU character who was with Spider-Man in that film. But just the idea of knowing that he exists in a world with other heroes just made it that much more special and something I've always wanted to do with Spider-Man. And now the fact that it looks like it's going to end and end abruptly, abruptly, I might add, it's just so disappointing. It's such a darn shame. And what makes me upset about it is that, you know, both Sony and Disney, they both have blame in this. I mean, because how it works is, or the reports coming out is that Disney wanted, you know, more financial compensation for their part in making the solo Spider-Man films for Sony. Um, they're making the movies and they're not really getting any money back in the return. Um, Sony does finance it, but, you know, Marvel's doing pretty much the heavy lifting as far as it comes to making the actual movie. And I guess, you know, Understandably so, it would make sense for they would want to ask for more money in doing their work. And they asked for a 50, like a 50-50 split on the returns 
for the next movie. And that's where Sony's like, nope, uh, we don't think so. <laughs> that's not going to work for us. And maybe that was a little too high for Disney to ask that. And it makes sense for Sony to turn that down. But just to walk away completely and not have any, you know, maybe I don't, maybe this did happen right now. I haven't seen too much reports that negotiations continued after that. And they tried to work out a new arrangement as far as, you know, different figures, maybe a smaller figure than 50%. But just the fact that Sony doesn't realize that the success that this Spider-Man has had, I mean, just like at this year alone, he was in Endgame, is now the biggest movie of all time. And then with Far From Home, Spider-Man, that is the biggest Spider-Man movie ever as far as box office uh, returns-wise. It's made over a billion dollars. And you'd think they would just want to find a way to continue that success and not do anything to change that or jeopardize that because I don't have much confidence in Sony doing this on their own <laughs> over the last few movies they put out, which I haven't been a big fan of uh, into the spider verse being the exception, but that's an animated movie and, you know, not quite comparable to what uh, the situation is with this live action Spider-Man. So uh, it's just disappointing that they don't realize that or want to try to make this work. To me, it just seems like, it's disappointing because with the success of Venom, which you know I did not like, as I said on this episode, but obviously it was a big box office success. And to me, I just think they're getting a little overconfident thinking, you know, we had a box office success with Venom. Spider-Verse was an Academy Award winning movie and critically received by or received well by fans and critics. I think we're OK to take Spider-Man on our own now. We don't need Marvel's help with this. And I just think, you know. That's something they're going to regret. <laughs> I just don't think they could really successfully pull off doing this version of Spider-Man on their own without the help of Marvel. Because it all sounds like they're still going to use Tom Holland, which is great because I would hate it even more so if they decided, you know, we're going to reboot again and get a new actor into this new universe they're creating with Venom. That would be awful. So I think the one thing I'm okay with that it sounds like they're going to continue with their next Spider-Man live action film with Tom Holland and how and pick up where far from home ended because that ended on a pretty big cliffhanger and I would hate to see that completely ignored. But at the same time, it's going to be disappointing if they don't work out a new deal and Sony makes the new Spider-Man movie on their own that they're going to have to ignore so much of what happened in the first two Spider-Man movies being set in the MCU. You know, Spider-Man is not going to be able to mention Tony Stark or any other hero or Nick Fury or anything that's happened before. And it's just going to seem weird and they can't do it and have it be, you know, a, still a good Spider-Man film, depending on where they go and what villains they use and the journey Peter Parker takes. So I'm not saying that this film is dependent on the MCU connection to be successful, but it's just going to be weird now that they have to be completely ignored. And it's going to take away a little bit from, you know, the charm of the movie or the series of Spider-Man movies being set in the MCU because it's such a big factor in the story and the tone of these new Spider-Man movies. And to lose that, it's just going to take a little bit away from this next Spider-Man solo film. So it's just disappointing on all fronts. And, you know, I can understand why Disney would want to ask for a little more because, you know, just from doing most of the work and sacrificing another movie on their slate, because most of the time they have three, uh, I think they're looking at three movies in a calendar year that they release and have one of them be a movie that they don't get any money back from it. I can see why they maybe would want to ask for a little more. And at the same time too, they would help uh, reports came out where they would 
co-finance the next Spider-Man movie with Sony. So they would help with that aspect too, which I think could kind of offset of Sony not or Sony having to split more box office returns with Disney in this new deal. So it's just disappointing all the way around. Part of me thinks or wishes Disney can just be happy with the arrangement that they have now not needing any more money because let's be honest, they're making tons of money <laughs> anyway with their other films and Star Wars and whatnot. But so, but so I can understand both fronts. The fandom, you just to keep Spider-Man the MCU wants Spider wants Disney just you know don't worry about money. You got enough of it. <laughs> but at the same time, from a business standpoint, you can see why they would want to get some more compensation for the work they're putting in making these Spider-Man movies. So, uh, but the big part of it is Sony real thinking that they could be fine without Marvel's help. Now it just seems a little overconfident in my opinion. Where I just they don't have the trust for me yet thinking that uh, the next Spider-Man movie they do on their own is going to be successful. And I'm just worried they're just going to take all the goodwill that Marvel Studios helped put with this new version of Spider-Man and throw it all away because I'm worried that Sony's first like thing on the agenda to do with Spider-Man on their own is get him in a Venom movie and in that universe. And because you know that's what they want. That would be a huge draw for people having Spider-Man to either team up or fight Venom in one of his movies. And as a diehard Spider-Man fan, I would love to see that. But I said at the outset, once this Venom movie got announced, the idea that Peter Parker and Spider-Man is not involved with the origin of Eddie Brock and the symbiote coming together just loses so much of the drama and the aspect of the Venom story that I love so much that even if Spider-Man and Venom do team up or have a fight, it could be cool and be pretty awesome to see, but it's not going to be the same. It's not going to have the same impact it would have had if it all the symbiote story originated with Peter Parker like it did in the comics. So even if we do get that, it's not going to be as impactful for me as it would have been or Spider-Man being in the MCU. It's just not going to have that same effect. And I'm worried continuity-wise, uh, getting a little geeky here, that's, you know, they're going to do something that doesn't make sense. And the continuity for Tom Holland's Spider-Man is going to get so messed up like the X-Men movies where they contradict each other left and right with each new film that they would put Tom Holland's Spider-Man in the Venom universe and not even explain why and have it make sense that he was in the MCU, but now he's mixing it up with uh, Tom Hardy's Venom in that universe. And it'll just become a complicated mess, which I guess would only affect diehard comic book geeks like us and not so much for the general audience, but it would still be a major bummer for me to see that happen. So yeah, it's just disappointing on all fronts. Spider-Man was in such a great place. We were coming off a high of Endgame and Far From Home. Loved those movies to death and was was excited to see where they're going to go with Spider-Man in the MCU. And now it looks like we're not going to see that. And it's such a bummer. But man, there's a lot to this. And I got to give a shout out to uh, my pal Paul Herman and uh, Sean Gerber over at Marvel Studios News Podcast. They do a great job of breaking down the ins and outs of the Sony uh, Disney deal and you know why this happened and the potential of the future of you know what could be in store for both Marvel and Sony moving forward with this. So definitely check out their latest podcast. They do a much better job of me talking about this whole situation. But I just had to vent a little bit as far as being extremely disappointed because this is having Spider-Man in the MCU was one of the greatest, most fun comic book movie experiences I've had as a diehard fan because it's something like the impossible dream and now that dream looks to be over. It's not officially dead yet. There's our report saying they're, you know, could go back to the negotiation table and work this out. And even Sony in a statement says that, you know, uh, they're still open to or in the future of them working out maybe a new deal. So 
never said never, never, but right now it's just a disappointment to know that it looks like Spider-Man is going to be gone from the MCU for the foreseeable future. And it's just such a bummer after, like I said, the big high we've been on for for Spider-Man in movies these last few years. So it was a bad way to start the week. I gotta say, I was probably more mad about it and disappointed than I should be because it's just a fictional character not being in a universe of films. And it's not like we're not going to get any more Spider-Man movies. And it's not like Spider-Man is dependent on the MCU to be successful. But at the same time, after being a big fan of what they have done with the character in the MCU, I couldn't help but be disappointed about it. So yeah, uh, Got to move on, though. <laughs> Things definitely picked up this week, though, <laughs> as far as other cool news stories we've gotten regarding the Star Wars front, mainly. But uh, it was hard to, you know, not be disappointed for a few days hearing this. And at the same time, each day I kept hoping, or something going to get worked out? Is Disney and Marvel going to have a surprise announcement at D23 saying they, you know, worked out a new deal just in time? But so far, nothing's happened at D23 on the Marvel front regarding Spider-Man. So apparently not. <laughs> But I don't know, Dane, were you as disappointed as I was about this? <laughs> yeah. I would imagine probably not, as yeah, prob- <laughs> much I talked about it right now. <laughs> probably not, but um, I'm, I think they're going to work it out because they're going to realize that they're better together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sony's going to realize it's better to be in the MCU, and Disney's going to realize it's better to have Spider-Man be part of, the, of their MCU. So, I mean, look, at the, at the end of the day, this thing is about making money. And how do they make yeah. more money? They work together. So they're going to figure it out, I feel. Well, I mean, it, it, this is just a little bump in the road. And they're going to figure it out. Well, I'm glad you're definitely more optimistic than I am about it right now. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully that optimism can rub off on me and <laughs> I'll be a little more positive about the situation. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, you just got to remember, you know, they're, they're not re- making these movies and releasing them and promoting them and buying up these these properties for you. Yeah. They're doing it to make money. And this is what makes money. So... You know, that naturally leads you to the to the thought that, okay, working together and making this big universe is better than having Spider-Man leave and, you know, having our universe without it or having Spider-Man without the universe, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're going to figure it out. It's just a little setback that blew into this big thing. And like you said, they are still open to talk, right? Yeah. So I, they're, they're going to figure it out. And Spider-Man's going to be in the MCU. I mean, it, 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 it would be kind of a stupid thing for him not to be. Because he's so this version of Spider-Man is so embedded into the MCU, Tony Stark, all these other things. So I know. That's, they're going to figure it out, Tim. Don't, <laughs> don't feel negative about it. To quote C-3PO, I'll say, well, I wish I had your confidence. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's it's not the end of the world. It's it's going to, the Spider-Man's going to be in MCU. I mean, they're, they're going to realize sooner or later that even if they, if, let's say the worst happens and then Sony has to release a Spider-Man movie and it's a Spider-Man movie without the MCU. 
they're going to quickly realize after that that yeah this isn't a good idea and then you know disney's going to realize that oh it's not the same thing without spider-man so mm-hmm. yeah just a shame that it has to come to that point i wish they'd realize that right now <laughs> like yeah. sony wise thinking you know we have something good going here and to do move away from that you know might be a little late if they the last thing you want is to have an unsuccessful movie because of that. Just keep the ball rolling. It's going so good right now. But like you yeah. said, at the negotiation table, they're not really thinking about, we got to make fans like Tim happy and keep them in the MCU. That's our number one goal here. It's not that at all. It's about how can we get more money and what uh, aspect is beneficial to us as a company. So, which is yeah, why we're in this yeah, prediction right, or predicament right now. It's sort of the ugly side of, movie making or entertainment the entertainment industry but it is true and you know it's it's better if they work together you know yep. rather than separately um but, but but yeah like i said they're gonna figure it out and you're gonna get your spider-man don't worry <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say the best part about this whole situation is just all the great memes that have come out <laughs> about Sony yeah. and Disney bickering and Spider-Man being in the middle of it. I mean, everyone, the, what everyone's going to is how appropriate that moment in Infinity War is where Spider-Man dies and gets dusted and just hugs Tony Stark saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> was saying, like, he's talking about going back to Sony and leaving the Disney uh, MCU now. Just, yeah. There's some Star Wars memes mixed in there, too. There's a lot of funny stuff. But yeah, uh, don't don't worry, Tim. And all <laughs> you fans out there that are, you know, thinking this is the end of Spider-Man and the MCU, it's probably not. Even if it is for one movie, they're going to realize that it's better working together than it is separately. But if this is it for Spider-Man and the MCU, it was great while well, it lasted. Like yeah, I should be thankful movies. that we got. Let's see. Two, five movies with Spider-Man in the MCU and all of them I love so much so <laughs> better than nothing and there will always be the probably the highlight of the MCU because you know the MCU is going to go on for the foreseeable feature and if Spider-Man is not going to be a part of it there will always be that one moment in time in you know the third phase of the MCU where Spider-Man was a big factor in it it was just great to see him there so Kind of look up that way, I guess. <laughs> better, yeah. better to have him in it for a little bit than not have him in it at all. I bet you, uh, like, I, I don't even know, but like, I bet you the X Men fans are like, oh, thank, thankfully it wasn't us. <laughs> I think most X Men fans are thinking, oh, thank goodness Disney has the rights to that, so they could be in the MCU now. <laughs> I still haven't seen Dark Phoenix. I got to miss in the theater. I haven't heard good things about it, but I'll definitely check it out. What's it? comes out on blu-ray because is that the one with um don't don't say anything tim let me think this through um sansa yeah uh okay. sophie turner <laughs> yeah sophie turner i forgot her name but there's the, there's one with aria right there's supposed to be one called the new mutants that was supposed to be out in april 2000 like 18 i think really <laughs> it just got it getting pushed back pushed back reshoots getting rescheduled and now that disney has the rights to it i don't know what they want to do with it so i might not even come out straight so. to video <laughs> or just put it all on hulu or something yeah some streaming service oh yeah they, they also have that runaway show right yeah which i haven't seen either this disney plus 
they probably don't want to saturate Disney Plus with a uh, movie that they're <laughs> not too confident in. But man, oh, speaking speak. of Disney Plus, yeah. the yeah. things that <laughs> brought my spirits up for the week after being disappointed with Spider Man, like I said, the Star Wars news. Oh boy, <laughs> we, we're getting it, Dane. Talk about another dream come true. <laughs> it's like something I thought would it happen for a while. Obi Wan is getting his TV series, and Ewan McGregor is back. God, how awesome is that, man? <laughs> how awesome is that? I mean, I, 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 I guess, um, I guess you're speechless about this, Tim. Or, or do you have another uh, three-hour not rant, <laughs> but praise? Well, for... <laughs> that'll probably be on the Saga Continues podcast, but it'll oh. be three hours. <laughs> but the one bummer about it is that it got reported through all the trades a week ago that Ewan McGregor was coming back as Obi Wan. And we just kept hearing reports and rumors for this so long. It was going to be a movie, but now it turned into a TV show. And Ewan McGregor would get asked about it pretty much ever since Disney bought Lucasfilm. People would ask him. You always have to play coy about it. So the rumblings were always there. But I will say the fact that it got reported last week took a little bit away from the awesome surprise it would have been seeing Ewan McGregor come out on stage at D23 announcing it. I mean, I probably would have fainted <laughs> if I didn't know anything about it and he would have came on stage. It would just would have been such an awesome surprise to get that. But we kind of suspected it was coming. But still, I had a big smile on my face when it came out on stage. And he you know, was playing it up to where he got asked that question so much where he goes to Kathleen Kennedy. He goes, Kathleen, I want you to ask me, will you be playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again? And then when she asked him that, yeah, this you know, big relief of saying, yes, I will. And just that, the crowd erupted the cheers. So it was a cool way to do it. And the fact that it is officially confirmed now that we're getting an Obi-Wan TV series, man, I can't wait for it. It's going to start filming in 2020. They said all the scripts are done and it'll take place eight years after Revenge of the Sith. So which, you know, is right in the wheelhouse of the perfect time frame for the series to take place in. And man, I can't wait for it. I mean, Obi-Wan's my favorite Star Wars character. Ewan McGregor was fantastic in the role. And the fact that he's going to be back playing him again is going to be so amazing. I cannot wait for it. So, yeah, to say I'm happy is an understatement. (laughs) But to hold us over until the Obi-Wan series, we got the Mandalorian coming. And that trailer, wow. (laughs) I mean... We they showed footage at celebration earlier this year, but they didn't release it online. There was bootleg quality footage that came out, which was better than nothing for us fans who weren't there to see, but didn't quite capture to how amazing the show's gonna look. And it does look amazing, man. It looks like you're watching a movie and just wow, the production quality on it looks amazing. The Mandalorian, the costumes look so cool. Just the tone, the setting. I just can't wait for this series to begin also, and it starts when Disney Plus launches on November 12th. So a lot of great Star Wars stuff coming, man. I was really impressed with that trailer. Yeah, the Mandalorian trailer blew me away. Uh, I, I, I didn't see any leaked footage or whatever. I, I just kind of wanted to see it as Disney wanted to present it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, more willpower than I do. <laughs> <laughs> man, I was... Really, really blown away. Forgot Carl Carl uh, Weathers was in yeah, the show. Uh-huh. Um, but my big concern was like, how are they going to do a Star Wars live action show and not make it look cheap? You know, 
Yep. But yeah, this trailer uh, totally made me forget about any sort of reservations I had about the show. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it, it it looks like a movie, uh, which is which is a good thing. Um, also, forgot Werner Herzog is in this in the in the TV show yeah. <laughs> at the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks really good. Um, so yeah, I'm completely sold on Disney Plus day uh, on on day one. Oh yeah, I'm, it was, it was a given going... for me right away. <laughs> but yeah. even more so now. I might just go ahead and do the annual subscription. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, um, I can't wait for that show, and I only yeah. have to wait. Two weeks. As far as new episodes, like when they're going to be released, or when you're uh, Disney be... Plus. Oh well, about three months. <laughs> oh, I thought, it comes out I November twelfth. Thought... Oh yeah, why did I think it, it came out next month? <laughs> that would be awesome if it did, but still got a little bit of a wait to do. I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was going to come out in September. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, those are some cool stuff to get this past weekend. Man, so really excited about the future of Star Wars on TV and what you know more awesome stuff we're gonna get alongside the movies. It's gonna be great. So that put me back in a good mood after the Spider Man news. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I know a lot of people were sort of like really really mad about uh, the the spider the Spider Man thing, but yeah, there it was. Yeah, uh, you know, you just gotta realize that. These companies are just looking to make money, and they're going to realize sooner or later, you know, how that money is going to be made. Yeah. On the flip side, I actually saw some people happy about it, which was surprising. But, really? you know, <laughs> everyone has their preference, and some people want Spider-Man just back by himself and let Sony have him. I mean, I don't agree with that, but if that's how they feel, I guess kudos to you for this being good news. So, <laughs> but I don't know. Well, to see where... I mean what's the some people don't like how he was handled in the mcu being uh, with you know so connected with iron man but it worked i don't agree with that opinion to me it worked well for doing a spider-man story that had to be different because you already told kind of his origin story twice on his own so you had to do a story that put him more in the mix with mcu characters and who better to mix it up or to him uh, be closest with than iron man the character who is the central figure of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is what gets me. The whole thing about these two Spider-Man movies was that Tony Stark shepherding Spider-Man to become that face and central character of the MCU, which Spider-Man is in the Marvel comics. He's the face of Marvel comics. He's the central character. And they were kind of building him up to be that in the MCU now that Tony Stark is gone. And we might not see that now, <laughs> which again, adds to my frustration. But the uh, don't want to go into it any further. I said what I had to say. But let's get back on the positive side of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, with that, we can go ahead and go into our comic book reviews for this episode. And for this one, we're going to be reviewing Detective Comics number 1009 and Batman 76, which features a big ending <laughs> for that issue of Batman 76, which I'll get to. But as always, got to throw out the spoiler warnings here. Um, I'll be going into details on the events that happen in these comics. So if you haven't read them yet, you might want to hold off, read them, then come back to hear what I have to say. And for our rating scale for this episode, I was thinking crazy 
Oakland A stories that Dane brings up by reading books or something yeah. to that effect. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It seems appropriate. <laughs> All right. So Detective Comics number 1009. And Detective Comics hasn't been my favorite these last few issues. I mean, which is surprising because I really love Peter Tomasi's writing and how he's handled Batman in the past. But these stories just haven't grabbed me in these last few issues. The last one was okay with the one-off Joker story. But I got to say, I really like this issue. It's kicking off a story that feels different that I haven't read in a Batman comics, at least for a while. That looks like it's mainly going to focus on Bruce Wayne. But there's just a lot of fun moments throughout this issue. And I like how it begins with kind of a montage of Batman just taking down various criminals and thugs and then leaving notes as he drops off the criminals at a police station or has them hanging on a light post. And he has a note saying what these villains have done and saying they'll confess, kind of a la Spider-Man, leaving a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man note. But then you have Alfred telling him, you know, he needs to get some rest. He has a big day tomorrow. Kind of annoying, Bruce. (laughs) And uh, as he gets home, he makes a a joke to Ace saying, hey, Ace, do you want to become my next butler or something like that to the effect to show it is a little annoyance with Alfred there, which you don't see all the time. But, you know, if Batman has a busy night a rough night it could maybe alfred could get out his nerve just a little bit and it looks like he had a rough night because there's a really cool image of batman just standing on a gargoyle with his suit kind of bloodied up and his fists all full with blood from pummeling criminals and i will got to say that image is awesome and the artwork just in general in this issue i really love by uh christian deuce who you know i felt really outdid himself in this art some great batman shots here just really well uh, laid out and designed for this issue that I thought worked really, really well. So there's some fun moments here as we see Batman coming back after a long night, changes costumes, ready to go to bed at 6 a, at 6.05, he turns off the lights. And then at 6.07, Alfred's there to open up the curtains and say, you know, rise and shine, time to get breakfast on the table, you got a long day ahead of you. And Bruce just isn't having it. He just goes, I'm going to kill you. And Alfred goes, I have a good authority that Batman does not kill. <laughs> so I just like the back and forth between Batman and Alfred there. It's that, you know, playful annoyance that they have or that with each other during this instance. But then uh, it turns out the main villain of the story is going to be Deadshot, who we see take on a new job from, uh, we don't know who his employee is, but they send someone jumping out of an airplane <laughs> to give him a drive with, you know, his mission and his funds. And then Deadshot has to tie all loose ends and takes out that uh, delivery jump pilot and just shoots him. And we're going to see him on his mission and who he's going to target. But then we get some more playful sequences of Batman at a to his, to him anyway, a boring boards meeting at Wayne headquarters. Uh, or I should say in the comic, it's Gotham National Bank headquarters. So he's meeting up with a bunch of other CEOs. Lucius Fox is giving a boring presentation that Bruce doesn't want to be there. I like this playful side of Bruce we're getting in this issue. It kind of reminds me of the Bruce we see sometimes in Batman Begins, where he's you know falling asleep at the boardroom table or you know playing, you know, having some fun with the secretary while all the other executives are in a meeting. So it's that you know playful side of Bruce that makes you think this guy cannot be Batman. So it was kind of fun to see that side of Batman, and it turns out. Um, these CEOs, they're all going to take a trip to Singapore, I believe. And they're all Batman, or Bruce has a great idea to have them all go on one plane, as he calls it, a plane pool. (laughs) So all the CEOs are going to fly together, and not all of them are happy about it. And as we see him talk with Lucius Fox, uh, the plane is going to go through this thunderstorm 
And not that's not his only problem, though, because it turns out one of the pilots is Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot, whose you know mission took him here to be on this plane with a bunch of important people and businessmen and women, and he's about to take the plane hostage. But during that thunderstorm, some lightning strikes the plane and just you know causes mass destruction on there. People are flying out. Deadshot, you know, his plan's pretty much ruined as he's flying all over the plane. And I like seeing Bruce doing what he can to save all the different people on the plane, especially Lucius and these other uh, CEOs, getting them, you know, back in their seats with their seatbelts on, pulling people back from being blown away. So it's cool to see Bruce in action as a hero without his Batman costume. And the pretty much the issue ends with the plane crashing um, with Deadshot with Bruce and a bunch of a businessmen stranded in it looks like this jungle. Um, I don't know the, remember to give the exact location of it, but they're in dire straits. No, because we see the last page is the plane in two pieces in the jungle. We see the snake slithering around uh, showing that these people are going to have a hard time trying to get off or get away from wherever they're at and having to deal with a dead shot. So It'll be interesting to see, you know, if Batman or if Bruce and Deadshot have to work together to save these people or just to survive. So just a different scenario and situation that, you know, we don't see Bruce in too much in these comic stories, or at least not in a while for me anyway. So I like how it was something different. There was some fun banter between Bruce and Alfred, Lucius, great artwork. So I really enjoyed this issue. I'm going to go and give it four out of five crazy Oakland A stories Dane gets by reading books. Oh, I should say, too, there was a tag at the end of Mr. Freeze. They're setting up a story with Mr. Freeze, how he's going to be involved in, in the Year of the Villains uh, promotion that DC has going on and him reviving Nora. So it looks like he was able to revive her and it's going to play a factor in a future story. So we'll see where that goes. But solid issue all the way around. But now we get to Batman number 77 as we continue the City of Bane arc where, as you've heard me talk about on previous episodes, hasn't really grabbed me, hasn't gotten going, seemed like it's going through the motion of a lot of setup. But some big things happen here, and I think opinions are going to vary as far as uh, to what happens. But it begins with Damien entering Gotham, because we know Bane put the warning out that none of the Bat family could enter Gotham, otherwise they'll kill Alfred. He's their hostage that they have, and, you know, his... I guess Trump card as far as keeping the city in line and not having to worry about any of Bat family members doing anything to try to take down the villains. But Damien doesn't care anymore. He's going to go in and try to take the city back. And he goes up against Gotham Girl. He's able to take her out by using some magic with Clarion the Witch Boy's magic wand. to Because you know Gotham Girl is very powerful, but he's able to subdue her with that magic wand. Then we see him take out uh, Scarecrow and Zass as there's a quote-unquote detectives <laughs> roaming the streets of Gotham now. Damien takes them down. Then he goes after, you know, the big fish, Thomas Wayne's Batman. And he's able to take down everyone pretty easily until he gets to Thomas Wayne. And that ends up being a cool fight sequence. Not only, you know, both of them showing their skills, but I like the dialogue that they had here. Damien pretty much calling out Thomas Wayne's Batman as far as, like, you're no Batman. How could you do this? You let Bane take the city you're like you're disgraced to the batman name you're pathetic and you let all of this has been caused by you because of a button that you couldn't handle <laughs> going back to the watchman or the comedian button teased in you know the rebirth special and of course the button crossover that batman and flash had so just some great stuff there between damien and his grandfather damien gets some good punches in there but he unfortunately wasn't a match for thomas wayne and thomas is able to take him down 
And while this is going on, we see what Bruce and Selena are up to as Bruce finally wakes up from, you know, the coma state he was in. And it looks like they're in Paris sharing dinner and Bruce is saying, you know, kind of coming to terms with what happened, how he lost, but yet he has to go back to take his city. And Selena is trying to stop him thinking, you know, if you go back, you're going to die there. And Bruce goes, I know, but at least it'll die in Gotham with his mother and his father. And he's, you know, to quote the line from the Dark Knight Returns, he goes, it'll be a good death. So Bruce is determined to go back there. And even though Selena tried to talk him out of it, she actually, nope, she realizes she can't talk him out of it. But she figures out or tries to tell Bruce a way he can get back without, you know, dying. And so they're kind of teasing the last page of the comic is Bruce and Selena suited up in their Batman and Catwoman costume. And Selena is going to show Bruce a way to get revenge and get his city back. But that's not the big thing. The big thing that happens at the end, like I said, Thomas Wayne defeated Damien. He has him captured. He has him tied up to a chair. And then we just see this these voices talking but you don't see who it is you see someone say this understand this isn't my choice you know you you know but we gave the warning if you got any of the bat family members come here alfred's gonna die and then you see your the dialogue bubbles of alfred talking just saying like master please no because obviously he's trapped and has to refer to thomas wayne as his master now and he goes like not in front of the boy like i don't care what you do with me just not in front of damien and then we see the image of Bane snapping Alfred's neck, thus killing him. And as far as we know right now, it looks like Alfred is dead. But again, it's comics. And we know that Psycho Pirate is going to play a big factor in the story and how he can manipulate people's minds and make them see things they don't want to see. So this all could be an illusion. And I wouldn't put it past Tom King and DC to do, do this without not actually killing Alfred. But I gotta say, this is the death of Alfred is something I think would be very interesting to explore as far as the characterization or to see what it does to Bruce as a character in the main DC continuity. Because there have been stories where Bruce Wayne has lost Alfred and what it can do to him. I mean, uh, White Knight is the most recent example. But to have it be in the main DC continuity as far as Bruce losing Alfred, I think that'd be something very interesting to explore because it could take Bruce down past we've never seen him before and just what his reaction would be to lose his his father figure one of his closest friends and you know just family member he has because really alfred was his only family for so long and he's been with him throughout his whole life and to see how bruce reacts to losing him i think it'd be very interesting to explore that so i'm not totally against killing off alfred as much as i love alfred i mean he's an integral character and figure in Batman lore. It's not like I'm just glad he's dead, but just from a story wise and to see where they can do um, with Bruce as a character, exploring that Avenue could be pretty interesting. And it's something I've been curious to see for a while now. So they go this route. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to having it stick for a while, but again, it's comics. It could all just be a ruse and it could turn out at the end of this, that Alfred's back. And I wouldn't be opposed to that either because you know, Alfred's great. I don't want to, I don't see him dead for so long, but part of me is just not satisfied with how it was done to have that effectiveness against Bruce as it could have had because the fact that Bruce wasn't there to see it and now he's going to have to hear it or find out about it somehow, some way um, might not have the emotional impact. It could have been if Bruce actually saw Alfred die because that could just make things even more 
dramatic for Bruce to experience because it could be another parent he has to see killed in front of him. And what will that do him do to him mentally and to see how see how that affects him moving forward and how he would recover from that. Because it's, you know, one thing to lose your parents as a kid. We obviously saw how that affected Bruce becoming Batman. But then to experience that again as Batman losing another parent as Alfred is to him. Uh, like I said, it could be something very interesting to explore, but that aspect is gone now if Alfred really is dead because Bruce didn't see it happen. And just to see that drive that group Batman is going to have for wanting revenge on the death of Alfred. It looks like we're going to get that anyway, but I don't think it could be as impactful as it would have been if Bruce actually saw Alfred die. So kind of a mixed bag on this whole situation as far as Alfred seemingly being killed here. At one, on one hand, I like the story avenues that can lead to regarding Batman and how he deals with this. But at the same time, I don't think it was handled the best way with Batman not being there to see it. And, you know, having it potentially just be there for shock value because it's a pretty gruesome image of Bane snapping Alfred's neck. I mean, that's got to be hard for anyone to see as a longtime Batman fan seeing a staple like Alfred being taken out like that. So, again, we'll see if it's all real. It could just be an illusion or with Psycho Pirate being involved. We won't know. So... It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. But regardless, I think the city of Bane has finally picked up steam for me where I'm excited to see or anxious to see what's going to happen next in the uh, upcoming issues. So um, because of that, I'm going to give this issue three and a half out of crazy Oakland A stories that Dane tells me by reading books. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. But definitely some big stuff if Alfred is indeed dead for the foreseeable future. We will see. Like uh, Spider-Man leaving the MCU. <laughs> See, that seems like a more dire outcome because with comics, you know, characters can come back like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's going to be a little more complicated to get Spider-Man back in the MCU than resurrecting Alfred if he is indeed dead. Oh, uh, yeah. But with that, my hosting duties because of the Yankees being swept by Oakland is <laughs> over. So I could go ahead and throw it to you, Dane, for the outro. All right, just go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311. I'll say it since the Yankees got swept. <laughs> Thank you, Dane. Yeah, it's been a hard week. <laughs> yeah. And my Twitter handles at DaneSaysBanana. Rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to email the show, you can email the show at BatPantsWithoutPants at gmail.com. So like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim, we love each and every one of you was our MCU spiderless hearts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I don't know how you got got all those words in there, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I had to say it in my head over and over to make it right. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody.